welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal, episode 14. Uh, this week we're taking a break from our trilogy of weird black metal shows to do a weird black metal show, <laughs> but this time with a guest. Um, you may remember her from the Damnation special we did earlier. We've brought Caitlin along to actually give us a taste of her actual music taste rather than just reviewing bands we caught live. Um, as usual with a guest episode, she suggested three albums to us that we kind of may or may not know, and me and Rob have both suggested one each to kind of fit with that general theme i'd say loosely this is atmospheric black metal yeah don't worry next episode we'll do something unrelated to black metal maybe like <laughs> best fresh metal puns <laughs> which will be like a history of exodus <laughs> um yeah so the first album we're covering actually is one suggested by rob uh rob do you want to introduce this one yeah so this is um summoning stronghold album so um summoning are a, a pretty weird band. They started off, um, as most of weird black metal bands do, as a very straightforward sort of Bathory-esque black metal band, and then gradually became, well, quite quickly became weirder by the second album, Minas Morgul. They'd become this sort of, well, they were always a Lord of the Rings worshipping band, but they brought in these really prominent synths, and sort of, they got rid of bass altogether, and the synth takes over that with these really big leads, as well as the guitar, and still the black metal shrieking vocals. Now, Stronghold is a little bit into their career. I think it's fourth or fifth album? Uh, fourth think. album. Fourth, yeah. So, um, Stronghold's interesting because it's the only one which isn't a full-on Lord of the Rings concept album or other works of Tolkien. It has an awful lot of Tolkien's works within it, but it's not just that. There's some stuff inspired by poetry from um, William Wordsworth and some other stuff as well. So, it sort of is one of the most varied summoning albums. It also has the most sort of um, technical and interesting guitar work Summoning have done. The synths in this album sort of move back a bit and often intro tracks and give us the backing to everything while still having a sort of big leading role and they have more intricate guitar work on this. So it's very much led by the synth and the guitars and then they have quite atypical programmed drums underneath this which often have sort of like very much focused on the toms as opposed to cymbals as you might normally find in black metal. You won't find any sort of blast beats and anything like this. And this builds a sort of hybrid of black metal and sort of strange ambient keyboards and that sort of thing. Um, so it's quite an interesting take on black metal, I think. And it still definitely has things like shrieked vocals, which are still there, but does it in a very different sort of synth fantasy kind of way. So you were completely new to this album, weren't you, Caitlin? How did you get on with it? Uh, well, it took me a couple of listens to make it all the way through uh, because I sort of tend to listen to this sort of kind of epic, slightly fantastical black metal in sort of shorter albums, especially things like Moon Sorrow EPs uh, and mm. so on. Um, but broadly, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, I picked up on the stuff with like lots of synth. And I thought um, using the synth as a way of driving some of the melodies was quite interesting. I did find, although it's not catchy in the traditional sense of what you might mean by the word catchy, I did sort of find that I was humming little tiny bits of it to myself as I was kind of working mm. through the day and that sort of thing, which is very unusual with black metal, <laughs> you know, maybe more common with uh, some of the other kinds of metal. Yeah, because I did find this album to be, like, this two-piece where they both play keyboards and it did seem mm. to rely on the synths a lot. And that was like my one issue with it was, I found some of the riffs, it was too much synth and everything else died into the background. But as soon as it started losing me with that, it would always come in with these really nice short lead melodies, mm. like just in time for me to not get bored of it. Yeah. And the lead melodies are fantastic. They're these really 
kind of simplistic, just couple of note things, but he comes like the guitarist comes up with so many good patterns on this yeah, album. Yeah, and the guitarist is a protector for this album, and it, uh, well, and for all of something actually, it's been the same duo of protector and silentness. Um, and this album's really interesting because it's actually the most forefront the guitar has ever been. A lot of the other Summoning albums, the synth is even more sort of in your face than it is on this one. And I think this is one that makes this one one of the most interesting. It's one of the more varied of Summoning's albums, both in terms of song content and lyrical content and in terms of the instrumentation. And you get sort of um, clean female vocals and a part of this as well, which is a really interesting sort of change in how Summoning do it because normally it's just your sort of black metal vocals over your much sort of calmer, less aggressive synth and guitar, which sometimes gets into sort of aggressive tremolo picking, but never feels that aggressive, despite sort of using black metal techniques, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I never found this album got particularly fast, I would no, say. There's, no. not, there's not anything where it descends into more sort of aggressive black metal. Mm. And I think, I think the drums work really well with that. So the drums are weird. They're played on a keyboard, so they very much, they just sound like programmed drums, but they're just hooked up to a keyboard and played on there, <laughs> which is a really weird way of doing it, and it gives it a very distinct feel. So as I was saying, it's mostly focused around sort of beats with lots of big, deep floor toms or sort of programmed floor tom sounds and snare drum and less work on cymbals and things like that, which gives it this almost like sort of marching war beat sort of feel to it behind all of this, mm. which yeah. just gives the whole song a very unique sort of rhythm to it. So lots of it, much more than other kind of uh, atmospheric fantasy black metal, a lot of it sounded like it could have come from the actual soundtrack for something like Lord of the Rings or mm -hmm. uh, more probably like the Lord of the Rings kind of video games and it had a very yeah, kind of driving yeah. and it reminded me a lot of kind of fantasy epic video game music which I don't mean to be derogatory mm -hmm. because I think composing <laughs> video games is a very difficult thing to do mm -hmm. and getting it right is very hard so that was the kind of sort of driving thing that it reminded me of. Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's definitely true um, and there's other sort of weird things about this. The two of them sort of see themselves more as composers than anything else, particularly with sort of albums after the first one, um, to the extent at which Protector does not own a guitar, and for every album that he comes to, he just borrows a guitar to do the recording, which is absolutely mad, and yet somehow he manages to pull out these really intricate and interesting riffs. Um, and they never practice with each other before they record or anything like that. It's all just sort of composed by the two of them and then finally put together onto an album. Yeah, I think they also do the mixing, production. It seems like it's pretty much a completely two-man project. Mm -hmm. Do you know, do they ever play live? Um, I believe they may have played live earlier, but I've n I wasn't able to find anything about live performances or anything like on, that. On their wiki page, it says that they've never performed live and they consistently say they're not at all interested in performing live mm. and they don't see that as a thing that they're going to do at all in their career. Mm. Mm. Like, actually hearing the album, it does feel very much in that vein. Like This band, yeah. like I think... Kind of in that kind of ethos, are very reminiscent of something like Drug, where they never, mm. you know, just don't really involve the personalities of the people and the music. It's entirely about the soundtrackiness of the album. Yeah, I'd have no idea how you do the drums on this if you just have someone <laughs> sat at a keyboard playing drums, which would be kind of fun to watch, mm. but, but very different. Um, and it is definitely worth, like, if you enjoy the bits of this album, go back and check out um, Lugbuzz, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is the first album. Um, particularly the song uh, Beyond Blood Red Horizons, which is really good, but it's this sort of like really sort of slightly um, thrashy black metal kind of thing, and you see this really weird transformation that they went on immediately afterwards. It's really so. I think of a lot of bands we've talked about in the last couple of episodes, it's quite fun to see the transition from straight up black metal band all the way through to like the sort of weird stuff that they get to later in their career. 
Yeah. Did either of you particularly have any issues with this album? Like moments you think worked less than others? So I would say it's too. I would say it's a little too long. Um, it's clocking in a little over an hour, mm. I think. Um, and perhaps a little too long, and perhaps could have been simplified in places. But for the sort of style that it is, in this sort of like almost trance, like ambient black metal thing, I think length it sort of justifies the length. But maybe there could have been moments which could have been cut. Yeah, I um, I felt it was walking mostly really well. The kind of really fine line between uh, kind of very interesting, sort of fantastical uh, atmospheric black metal, especially with all the synth and and without quite tipping over into sort of slightly camp or slightly cheesy, uh, which mm. there's a place for, but I didn't think that was what they were going for. But um, especially in track five, where we uh, got uh, Tanya Borski's clean vocals, I thought she was really, really good and she's got a really great voice. Mm. But I just thought the way that they were included into the mix and the kind of music that had been written for her did sort of seem to push it over slightly more towards cheese than I would have found completely perfect. But it's a relatively minor thing, so... Yeah, because this is one thing we haven't actually pointed out with this album. Like, it is a cheesy album. Like, yeah, this this yeah. is not a particularly... Like, I, I believe the band take it very seriously, but this isn't an album to be taken deadly seriously. Like, it is a very synth-led thing, which does have the tendency to be a yeah, bit yeah. fantastical and, you know, won't come across... And these, are, these aren't, like, kind of emperor synths. They are that kind of... Um, Leaning on Some one really very sort of eighties style synth sound as well, but I think um, part of that gives it quite a distinct feel, particularly compared to the other bands we'll talk about today, who often have like a very much a grounding in folk music using traditional instruments mm. and stuff like that. This has quite a different feel to that, sort of going for the same ambient thing, which makes it feel like a little bit like video game music, a little bit more less grounded and like almost timeless in a way because it's not sort of ground down to a particular type of folk history or something like that it's very much a little bit more removed from the real world as is the sort of fantasy that it's based on mm-hmm. i mean so, it, it's yeah. fantastical sounding enough that in a couple of places i started going is that kind of inspired by the howard shaw score for lord of the rings but this is from 99 so it is from long <laughs> yeah. before that was actually written yeah. Yeah. but in places you can kind of hear it and you kind of go yes this is for a kind mm. of grand mm. fantasy epic and uh, in, on the Encyclopedia Metallum, it is, it's also tagged with uh, medieval, but it yeah. feels a lot more kind of like a slightly medieval-y Renaissance fair kind of medieval, as yeah. opposed to yeah. uh, one of the bands we're going to come to later, Alcithio um, Lifsons, who are kind of like really strongly grounded in a very particular moment mm. in time, mm. which is broadly medieval, but it sounds completely different in the way that that's yeah. been interpreted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, the song we're going to play from this one is like... Like some snow white marbled eyes, it's kind of very much in the vein of everything we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Synth led, brilliant little um, couple of note lead guitar passages, and just some great kind of black metal screaming. Mm-hmm. Just a very atmospheric track. Yeah, definitely.
So the uh, second album we're covering today, and this is the first of Caitlin's suggestions, is the 2015 album uh, Wedge Your Dudes, De, De Doden Heaven Het Goad, possibly. Um, <laughs> it's going to be a theme of the episode from this point onwards of we've covered the one band where I can pronounce their song titles. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this is the uh, Belgian-based band, um, probably famously known for their guitarist, uh, Giles DeMolder is bass player and guitarist for um, kind of blackened hardcore band Oathbreaker, who mm. you may have remember us covering on our uh, end of the year show. This was like a this is the first of their two albums. Um, both albums, are these kind of short, very like very strictly black metal albums. There's not a huge amount of other instruments like um, yeah influences going on there. But these guys have. Definitely a very interesting take on black metal. And I would say this album is verging on kind of a modern classic of the genre without mm. doing anything particularly new. They seem to be melding all sorts of elements. Like the band lineup is like guitar and vocals, drums, and another guitarist. And that's all we get on this album, bar a brief passage of spoken word, like a woman speaking right at the end. And this is definitely black metal, less in the atmospheric category, more almost just brutal black metal but mm. with um with some moments of atmosphere and so on are you like what got you into this one caitlin over other kind of black metal albums uh so actually this was um we saw them at damnation not the year that we've covered in the podcast but the previous year and uh they were either the first or the second band on mm. and i think you'd already heard of them and you were like yeah. oh they're really good and they, I think they might have been on like just before Voices or someone else who we wanted to be at the barrier for anyway. So we kind of we trotted ourselves down there and I was kind of standing at the barrier. And it was just really, really mind-blowingly good for a band that is just three people on in the middle of the day mm. and like a one-day indoor festival. Um, and what, what's kind of really interesting about this EP is in, in total contrast to the previous album we were talking about is that pretty much what you hear on the album is exactly what you would hear live. They've done very little kind of messing around mm. post-production, mm. adding anything in. Uh, which I think is is relatively unusual these days. I think there's basically nothing in the way of overdub guitars. It's pretty yeah. much two guitars tracks throughout. And as far as I can tell, there's no bass on it at all. Yeah, and quite a contrast, actually, as you were saying, to Summoning. Summoning begins with this whole sort of uh, room, this atmospheric sort of keyboard passage. This album, like, starts with a hell of a bang. Like, it just brings you straight into, like, this really furious black metal with blast beats and screaming. And eventually, this sort of cuts away to just the guitar with this sort of like atmospheric part and they manage to achieve this really great sense of atmosphere with just a guitar you know going playing this sort of interesting melodic passage and it's not even doing very much yeah it's, it's yeah. pretty much sticking in the same the same kind of two or three arpeggios mm. pretty much and, this, and yeah. for most of it it's just playing by itself with absolutely yeah. nothing else and then it brings you back into this sort of like furious black metal section which i think um, like I'm saying with um, Devin Townsend's Transcendence, when you have like both of these parts, like this much calmer part and this much more aggressive part, it really helps both of them to shine, particularly when they manage to be sort of evoking the same slightly melancholic and yet aggressive black metal vibe. It really helps both of these parts sound better because of the contrast. Yeah, this is very much in the traditional vein of what you'd expect from a black metal album as well. It is blast beats, um, furiously fast pick guitar, and lots of actually not that high screams, kind of mid range, but like mm. the the vocalist Levy has an incredible scream. Yeah, I don't know what it is that's so good about it, but even like live, it's rare you hear a black metal vocalist mic check and be like, 
that guy's really good, right? <laughs> Normally that sounds ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think also um, uh, Guz does vocals live, but apparently he doesn't record anything. And this album one okay. truly sounds mm. like it's one one guy doing one mm. vocal track throughout. Well, I'm glad you cleared that up for me because when I was looking through the credits, I remember, really remember seeing both of them mm. have lights <laughs> when we saw them live. And I was like, have I imagined that? Is it just not there? I'm, so, I'm pretty sure it's just him, but I yeah. could be wrong. So, I mean, Levy, the other guitarist, is from uh, Armenra, if mm. you pronounce it. So, uh, and the drummer is also from Oathbreaker. Oh, So cool, it's a kind cool. of like, it's a, it's not really a side project. I read a couple of interviews with them where they're all very clearly that it's not a side project. Mm. Um, but it's sort of very, very different from the other stuff that they do. And it's just quite, I don't know, it's quite interesting that this is so cohesive when it's coming from three people who sort of approximately at least half the time are doing something very, very different. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when I was, I was reading up on this album, it took them ten rehearsals to write the whole release. That's incredible. I mean, that's nothing, that's, right? That's, that's nothing. Because this yeah. is, this, although a short album is about 40 minutes, four tracks, like, there is a mm. lot going on here and it, it, it's, got absolutely no chaff on it there is not a yeah, yeah. there is but, not a minute i dropped from it no and it's so good and it's just and it's a first release like it mm. doesn't and okay you know it's not as though it's the first thing they've ever done but it's so incredibly cohesive for what is a, a first project from three people who do really different stuff with their kind of normal time and i've got a great sense of um i think pacing and how long to do things for as well there are some great sort of really hypnotic riffs on this which stay for exactly the amount of time you need them to and often with songs like this that's quite a long time but then they'll build in some extra like melodies on the second Mm. guitar which make it really interesting and you're still kept in there and they pick exactly the right time for the right riffs and it never sort of overstays its welcome yeah there's some absolutely beautiful lead melodies in this like mm. it is an extreme for an album so aggressive and fast it is extremely memorable like mm. i regularly find melodies from this stuck in my head after listening which is rare for an album this aggressive yeah even a lot of the riffs as well you can just get stuck in your head like they may be fast and aggressive but there's a real sense that they were very much written with the song in mind it's not just something fast and aggressive it really has a meaning and really has a place within the album and the song itself I think um, we're talking about the vocals briefly. There was quite some quite cool bits in it where the vocals sort of fade out and have this almost like otherworldly whisper like quality to them, which I thought was really cool and really helped the sense of atmosphere. And again, it's nothing like really new. It's just done really well on this album. Yeah, and I think they they close out over um, the final track, which I what's the final track called? Once again. Yeah, so um, they kind of close out with uh, a kind of female voice speaking the lyrics of, of Ondagan in, in Russian. Mm. And that actually, I think, was just Levy's girlfriend, who presumably also did the translation, because they didn't say who had done that. <laughs> um, and sort of in contrast to how I felt about summoning, that really, really, really works mm. in a way that normally, like, oh, yeah, and then we've got this kind of nice female voice and it's saying a poem over the end of the album. Oh, it's so meaningful. Like, kind of doesn't really work. And for this, it's it's absolutely exactly right. And it's also the very last thing I would have chosen mm. listening to the mm. album being like, what's the right way to close this out? It would, I just wouldn't have crossed my mind. Yeah, fade out and lead spoken word like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. No, the, the other thing, which I think is actually possibly the only thing they've got that struck me as quite like original as an idea, is this album is weirdly like super well produced, like really, yeah. really yeah. clearly produced. But the clever thing they've done is it still sounds like a raw black metal album. Mm. Because there's no bass, because the drummer focuses so heavily on cymbals, because the vocals are so raspy, they've like and the guitars are so distorted, 
despite being really clean and clear production, they've made it sound really distorted and kind of brutal without, but with loads of kind of clever mm. studio techniques and so on. It's it's not something I've seen done all that often. Yeah, and it means as well, when it sort of cuts away to just one guitar playing a more melodic passage by itself, it doesn't sound rubbish. Mm. Like, it still sounds really good because the production's actually great. It's just they've managed to make that sort of good production work for them. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, I think relatively unusually for the podcast, I've actually got the physical album <laughs> of this. So they have this kind of very cool cover art with this kind of, uh, like, obviously cloudy sky, like, sad... Sad silhouetted trees in a kind of like slightly beleaguered looking cornfield, and then they've got this like ludicrously creepy sort of sigil made out of sticks and twine. And it kind of mm. doesn't really look like the ones from True Detective from the first series of True Detective, but it really reminds you of that level of kind of like very unsettling, something very slightly wrong about it. Yeah, yeah. And then you know, there's you kind of if you fold the album out, there's the kind of the, the four song titles and a kind of little bit about um who the members of the band are and where it was recorded and then you open the whole thing out and there are no liner notes whatsoever and it's entirely black and it just <laughs> says the name of the album <laughs> which yeah <laughs> which is pretty much I don't know it feels very appropriate it, with this yeah. I mean I yeah. think this, this is an album about depression and sort of death and anger and that that kind of thing and sort of I mean that's kind of very passe for black metal it's always mm. about death and anger and depression but I the this is the first time I've ever really listened to a black metal album that's explicitly about that and gone, oh yeah, I kind of feel where you're coming from. Mm. I know what you mean. And it all kind of like nicely coheres together. So the lyrics, as far as I'm aware, are, are you know very much about that. But their kind of like atmosphere when you see them on stage really evokes that sort of thing. And the kind of music itself very strongly evokes those feelings of... Um, uh, like especially nihilism, and yeah. they've like, mm. and they've even gone there with their kind of like extremely creepy cover art, and they're entirely black uh, inside um, stuff. Yeah, I, I, I really liked the cover art for this. It sort of gave this really nice sort of bleak picture, but it's very simple. You know, it's not this huge overblown thing, and I think it's very effective because of that. Yeah, unfortunately, it looks massively similar to the Mirka album that came out the same year. It does. <laughs> it does. Look I'm sure it's a complete accident. They're not even mm. from the same country, but yeah. I think when I looked it up, the sigil is made of runes that mean something, but I, I helpfully didn't write it down. I can't remember <laughs> off the top of my head. I, I mean, I think coupled with their concept, it doesn't really need to mean all that much. Like, no. it, it looks bleak and yeah. scary, and uh, this is the main sound of this album. I guess um, the other thing to mention is what Ouija Dude actually sort of translates to. Yes. <laughs> uh, which is Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, which is really black metal. It's not really much else to say about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was the first, It was how I found the band. I think the <laughs> like, first line of review was, this means sudden infant death syndrome. Which means you've got to look them up at least. <laughs> you've got to try it out, yeah. So just earlier this year, they released their second EP. Mm. Have either of you given that very much time? Yeah, it's basically more of the same. The album yeah. cover, like, to the point, the production sounds really similar. It's almost exactly the same length. The album cover looks super similar. But that's fine. This yeah. was brilliant and to the point I don't mind just getting more of mm. exactly I mean, it's called, the same idea. It's called Dead Ode and Heaven Head Guard 2, Two. right? Yeah. <laughs> I've only listened to it once so I don't feel I could do sort of any justice to describing how I felt about it. But Well, and as well, like if, if that album's any similar to this album in terms of being only 40 minutes long, mm-hmm. there's, there's nothing wasted on that. So Yeah, yeah. And, and I think there's despite not essentially having anything totally unique I can put my finger on, they seem unique enough from what they do. I can't think mm. of a band who sounds mm. identical. I just can't 
identify exactly what it is they've done yeah, that's just different. executed in a really sort of authentic and really well done way yeah so definitely one to try and catch live if you can because they mm. are really tight uh the song we decided to play off this one was track two uh quad blurred honestly we're just choosing a random track you like it, all of them are good i highly recommend you go away and listen to the whole album
uh, third album we're covering today is the second of Caitlin's Choice. Uh, Caitlin, do you want to summarise this one for us? Sure, okay. Um, so this is the only kind of full album, using full album in the relatively loose sense of the word, um, by a, a, a project called Epterastera, who are a, a sort of one-person uh, black metal band, and that one person is, is Cameron Harwick. Uh, and it's this kind of interesting mixture of kind of Gregorian chant and black metal, which sort of sounds like something you've heard before, um, sort of most modern with the bands like um, Batushka, but actually doesn't sound really at all like Batushka or any other mm. bands that have used kind of male voice chanting uh, before. So um, he sort of started out this project in 2007 and this album is from uh, 2013. And I think he's got another project in the works sort of based off the Facebook page, but it's sort of, it's a little bit difficult to tell. Um, so... It is very different from the other mm. stuff we've been listening to, which is sort of why I suggested it. So the album's kind of got lots of use of uh, motifs, which where we'll kind of we'll hear the motif uh, and the kind of style in which it's being done, and that'll be kind of one track. And then the second track will be that motif then incorporated with things which we would consider to be more sort of familiar with black metal. And this works kind of best with the first two tracks where we kind of listen to uh, some sort of polyphonic uh, kind of Gregorian style chant. And uh, then in the second act track, which I think is the one we're going to play, uh, yeah. that's kind of incorporated in with a much more sort of traditional black metal sound mm. in a way that I think is actually really brilliantly accomplished. Uh, and pretty much that track is the reason why I chose this album, because yeah. I think that's such mm. a cool thing to have done. Yeah, it's... And it's been handled so well <laughs> mm. that I, I just think it's great. Um, and I think the other kind of quite interesting thing to say is that this is actually, this is an unblack metal album, uh, which sort of unusually doesn't suck. Um, <laughs> so the, the album title is, is Semper Reformanda, which is uh, Latin for The Church Must Always Be Reformed, which is a kind of pseudo St. Augustine quote. It actually started kind of circulating in um, uh, 1947. But it's a kind of like, oh, this is from the important work of, of St. Augustine. And, and as far as I can tell, this is broadly very kind of like traditional high church Protestantism. Um, like based on Cameron Harwick's own um, own blog, he's a big fan of Martin Luther, uh, and it certainly feels like that kind of old school uh, European Protestantism. Uh, and each of the album tracks is one of the five. Oh my goodness, they've got a name and I can't remember them. Like five, they're not five like tenets of a doctrine, but the kind of like five bits mm. that are quite important. So mm. again, those are in Latin. So they're sola scriptura, sola Christo, etc. Uh, and they mean things like by, by scripture alone, by Christ alone, by grace alone. And they're kind of sort of the sorts of things you come across in that sort of brand of Christianity. But it, it just is really quite interesting. And I quite like things that are very cohesive. And I'm uh, ex quite religious. So I sort of I enjoy things that play well with religious motifs as opposed to things that mm. just kind of mm. have like bits and bobs that they've stuck in and then gone. Oh, it's fine. Um yeah, I mean, what, what did what did you guys think? Yeah, because we we obviously both completely new to this because this guy is incredibly underground. I, um, I found like I thought this was very interesting. Like, certainly, there's some totally unique ideas. The problem is, it it's, doesn't feel like an album. It, it this feels like five kind of experiments mm. that, while often quite interesting, especially uh, the track Peyton talked about earlier, the bits where he really mixes black metal in do sound amazing under these beautiful clean vocals the problem was it has a few elements that really show it to be this kind of one man labour of love like the program drums sound a bit naff on it like the guitars mm. sound quite nice yeah. 
but all, and also like the overall production of it is a bit weak. Like there's some brilliant elements. Like the guitars are really well written. There's some great kind of keyboard playing underneath it, and the vocals, both screamed and clean, are amazing. But it it just feels like something like it would be so good if this guy could put this to a full band. Like if he could it find, kind of sounds like a portfolio piece. Yeah. Like, please join yeah. my band. This is what we're doing. I, th- I think it sort of works like a really awesome proof of concept of the yeah. idea of mixing these two things together. And there was one. Um, I was looking at their band camp, and there's one review on there which I think emphasizes some of my thoughts and some of this, which is um, that a lot of black metal and stuff uses chanting to emphasize the metal. And in a lot of places, this is doing sort of the exact opposite, where it's using metal to emphasize the chanting that they've got going on here. And I think that's a really nice way of looking at it, particularly on um, Solo Cristo, the second song. Uh, it does that really well, and it just feeds these two genres together into something where, I mean, uh, no one really saw Christianity getting big into black metal, but it actually works. Mm-hmm. And taking these two genres and fusing them together works really well. And the sort of depth of the thinking behind it is kind of interesting. Um, even if it's not, you know, your typical, like, hail Satan, the church is evil, black metal type thing. Mm. It's kind of interesting. And I kind of like having a more diverse inspiration for songs and stuff like that in black metal. So he has um, quite a few, uh, Cameron has quite a few blog posts where he talks about the ideas behind the music. And he talks about the ideas of logos, which is like your intellectual stimulation and pathos, which is emotional. Um, and how music sort of translates beauty and he, for him, Christianity, and in particular sort of the Protestant stuff that a lot of the lyrics are about, um, sort of stimulate both logos and pathos. Which he, And this band is sort of his way of showing that through music and sort of says that Christianity is the only way of getting this. And whilst I might not agree with that final point, I think that's a really interesting way to go about making an album and looking at stuff like this feels really genuine and really unique. And the fact that it is sort of a proof of concept or like an experiment shouldn't really undersell it because no one else has done this and all of these things have to start off in this way so you know you you can't i mean maybe you can't just kind of produce an entire album of this straight away but you know this is proving that this sort of thing can be an entire album so i think there's a lot of merit in that cool i mean i think the elephant in the room is is the glockenspiel which comes in the second (laughs) half of the album which i'm not sure is an instrument that has very much to do with either gregorian Gregorian chant and polyphony or black metal I probably wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't necessarily have put it anywhere anywhere near it so the the third track Solia Gratia is is as I say is this kind of like uh is the motif track so we get quite a lot of glockenspiel and I think possibly a little bit of of, of picked guitar that's what I've written down but I didn't mm. say for certain um and a little bit of um vocals which are coming in in English and I haven't been able to work out what exactly they are they sound quite a lot like they might be from uh the kind of the first translated prayer books but i I'm guessing <laughs> entirely as to whether they actually are that. Um, and then there's even a little bit of like ambient naturey noise. There's a little bit of kind of waves on the seashore, um, yeah. which we will hear a lot of in the um, Alistair Theolipsen's album. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and I think the glockenspiel with the black metal, which we get in the fourth track, works a lot less well. And I think track four, Solar Fide, is, is probably the weakest track of the lot by quite a long way. I, I found it like almost laughable in yeah. places. Like, it's got some good moments of melodies, some well-written stuff. It just makes it all a bit too cheesy. Mm-hmm. And as Caitlin kind of alluded to, the black metal's completely forgotten in this track. It's very much a like clean um, mm. Yeah, well, know. I mean, in the motif track it is. And in the, the fourth track, it kind of brings the two oh, together. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it works much less well. Than, than in track two, where he's just bringing together the the, the polyphonic chanting and the mm. and the black metal, and it's kind of a shame that they're both on the same release because there's there's definitely some merit to the the bringing together of the kind of the glockenspiel and the 
black metal but with the the first bringing together being so good and the second one being really very weird and quite difficult to get your head around having the two almost right next to each other makes the first one look fantastic but also makes this one look really just like not very good <laughs> not not in terms of skill it's clearly been very well executed but just for me it's it's not something that I would ever sit down and go that is what I want mm. I want some black metal with some blockage bill get me an album <laughs> Really, I mean, I, I never thought I'd want my tambourine and death metal until I That's heard true. the latest model yeah. death cult album, no, and that works. So. <laughs> yeah, you know. it, it, it's, it's definitely something to be said for trying out new ideas. Like, I actually thought this was quite reminiscent of uh, the Zeal and Ardor album in just like mm. it being so clearly one man's labour of love, just throwing loads of ideas at the wall and having it all be a little rough and ready and not all working perfectly, mm. and also just yeah. using that template of throwing a weird influence on top of black metal which I think more people need to do because you it's always surprising what suddenly works really well with metal like the recent discovery that saxophone actually works brilliantly yeah, yeah, it yeah I mean whenever you are at the forefront as well like there will be ideas which don't execute quite as you wish them to but I mean I'd love to hear sort of you know, versions of this done with a full band as well, particularly yeah. with drums. And um, mm. I'm not sure if the glockenspiel is real or programmed, so maybe... I mean, there may well be a way of making that work completely with black metal, yeah, I mean, and I'd, I'd very, love to see that. It's a very harsh kind of tone. Like, when I wasn't sure what the instrument was, I was kind of wondering whether it might be, like, a set of bells. Mm. And I think if it was replaced with something... I mean, like, they have wooden glockenspiels, right? You can get those. And they I have think so, music yeah. Tone. Like, there's, there's place for that sort of thing. I yeah. think it just needs a bit of a bit of playing with... I would worry, though, there would be a chance with bringing too much of that live, you might end up going a bit Elverti with it. You could, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, that could happen. I think I think that probably pretty much covers it for this one. It's, as you say, it's a really short release, but, like, you can go on Bandcamp and get this really cheap, but if you enjoy this track, I, like, would highly recommend giving the whole thing a listen. You might find this is actually what you've been looking for, because you're not going to have heard it before, at least, mm -hmm. even the tracks with, like... The Golden Spill later on, which actually I, I relatively enjoyed. I didn't find it quite as off-putting as these two, okay. but I think yeah, I think it's just this is an album. It's so worth a listen just because you haven't heard it before. Sure. So obviously we're going to play Solo Cristo off this one. Cool. And just before we finish, they're definitely doing something new because this album's from 2013, and their Facebook page goes from posts from 2013 through to posts from like two weeks ago, mm. and he's clearly working on some new material. So I think it, it like would be worth giving that a like and checking it out because I bet it's going to be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely.
that brings us to our um, fourth choice for this. This was uh, my suggestion for it. And probably the most famous band of the lot here. We're, we're covering uh, Ligurabungit's Om from 2006. I think it's probably the most famous uh, album from these guys. These guys are Romanian folk-influenced black metal, but like the folk part is very much there, but this is a long way from folk metal. This is far more in that kind of the, what used to be known as Viking metal. Mm, I'm not really mm. sure what that genre is anymore. Sort of Amon Armoff stole that term a while back, and it's all <laughs> got a bit messy. Um, so this is... The project at the time was, and had been for quite a while, the kind of the brainchild of drummer and percussionist Niguru, um, guitarist Solfar, and vocalist, guitarist, keyboard player uh, Hupogramas. And these guys kept, like... This is their fourth release. They started in 1994, so just past the kind of like the real birth of black metal. But probably the first one to come out of um, like Romania, the mm, carving of a mm. lot of other successful Romanian bands. And these guys have always had like just something truly unique about their sound. I don't, I don't know about their early albums. They very much fall into that category of the album covers are so stupid I've never listened to them. <laughs> Seriously, look at the first one. It's really bad. <laughs> um, but they, what they do is they have this kind of sort of a template of quite fast, heavy black metal, but then they've involved a lot of traditional Romanian instruments over the top to give it extra melodic passages and then a lot of more standard black metal keyboard playing. Um, I think I'm right in saying you, both of you hadn't heard this band before this point, or is Yeah, that that's wrong? right. This is the first yeah, time I've no, come across I'd, them. I'd never heard of them. Uh, so I guess start with you, Rob. What did you, what did you reckon to this? Yeah, so I really love this album. This is probably my favourite of all the ones we covered. Um, and the thing I liked about it is, um, particularly as an album, it sits incredibly well, and it moves between various different sort of passages and emotions really smoothly. Um, you know, there are bits of it where it is just like this slightly weird black metal with mm. other sort of um, folk instruments over the top of it. And instruments like none I've really heard. You know, you have an awful lot of bands like Bathory have done stuff with sort of folk instruments and stuff like that and other bands. But Romania, as we were saying, like there aren't many bands from Romania. So you hear instruments that like you just don't hear in other bands, which lends it this really sort of grounded and interesting feel. And then from bits like that, it'll go into these sort of ambient sections, some of which like are weird and haunting and ethereal and sort mm. of like like a ho weird horror movie. And others of them seem like really positive, almost like Pink Floydy bits. And then there's like weird bits of sort of post-rocky stuff. Um, and it's really interesting how it takes all of these elements and fits them together into something that feels completely natural and yet very unique from any other band doing this style. How about yourself, Kaylin? Uh, so I really enjoyed this as well. Uh, I wouldn't say it's my favourite, given that I brought three of my own albums. With <laughs> yeah. it, but, uh, I I did really enjoy it. I thought it had some kind of like uh, really great atmospheric sections, uh, which I kind of like. I just really enjoy atmospheric black metal. That's sort mm -hmm. of where I would comfortably sit as my like main music sort of thing. Um, and I found actually in a couple of places it really reminded me of Bosk's first album. Now, the vocals are completely different, yeah. but without the vocals, some of the kind of other stuff that's going on underneath them really, really reminded me of some of the kind of like, uh, some of the heavier sections of uh, Bosk's first album, One, which is quite mm. interesting because I, I don't think I can think of anybody else who I could kind of put my finger on it and go, that sounds like Bosk. Mm. So that was very cool. Uh, and like Rob, I really like the kind of inclusion of 
the sort of the inclusion of folk instruments that you can actually kind of tell are real folk instruments. Mm. Mm. Like mm. I think um, Phil, your your girlfriend Mel is famously on record as having saying which folk tradition is that annoying keyboard noise from <laughs> <laughs> when when talking about classic black uh, classic folk metal. Uh, and, this is, and this is about as far away from that as it's kind of possible to imagine, <laughs> while still really clearly having a very kind of grounding mm. folk influence that can be felt throughout the album. Yeah, so like um, quite interesting as well. It's it's actually members of the band like playing playing these traditional instruments. Um, Naguru plays the I think the toka, which is a really weird thing. It's like a sheet of either wood or metal played with little hammers. That's like an yeah. additional Ooh. kind of uh, almost like kind of somewhere between like wind chimes and a cymbal. It's, it's <laughs> really strange. And then uh, vocalist. Uh, plays Tolmak and the Nye, which uh, one of them is just like a giant horn. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. like, if you see pictures yeah. of them, they're fucking massive. <laughs> but that giant horn noise really, really reminds me of something, and I can't work out what it is, and it's specifically the opening of track five, and it's yes. just a couple of notes, and I'm like, it's so familiar, it speaks to me. What is it from? And I'm playing it for, for Hannah, who is my person who knows about all the metal, and she's, she's no idea where it's from. Mm. So if you guys do, that would be great, but otherwise I'll just be haunted by it for the rest of my life. No, I, I had a similar thing of the entire way through the next album we're covering. The vocalist reminds me of someone and I cannot place who. <laughs> uh, yeah, on top of that, the, there's um, so the bass is played by a guest bass player and we also have another um, musician who adds flute to the whole album. So you're probably getting the impression for this. There's a huge amount of stuff layered over. And a, like a relatively interesting black metal template, actually. Like, mm. Naguru's drumming is... I wouldn't describe it as tight, but it's interesting. Like when he gets into the blast beats and some of them, they're pretty loose blast beats. But he does a lot of really interesting stuff. He's like he's not a Hellhammer type drummer. He's more in the vein of say um, Wolves in the Throne Rooms kind of mm. drumming, where it's a bit more, mm-hmm. bit more loose. But it makes the whole album feel a bit more natural. Like the whole album yeah, has yeah. a quite, um, it, it, like it feels like it could have been played live. And particularly like uh, with the drums, the production is really interesting because it's actually often with the drums, it's really clear. Like I can hear a hell of a lot of what is going on in the drumming, and it's kind of unusual for a black metal band. I don't normally like hear the drums quite as clearly, and they don't normally resonate quite as much. And with the rest of the album as well, like it's actually sort of similar to Wager Dude. It's quite clear, and yet they manage to sort of get that sort of fuzz and from the distortion of the guitars and from the ambient sections as well. Mm. And they work really well with quite nice production, which I think is something that a lot of black metal bands could do more of, rather than just turning the production to rubbish to try to get sort of a classic black metal sound. Yeah, because this actually does capture that atmosphere of it being quite dark and creepy in the places, especially mm. places where it's more guitar-led rather than so much like the atmospheric keyboard tones um the the keyboard actually is used in a relatively similar way to summoning it just mm, doesn't mm. quite have the position in the mix yeah it's, it's not quite as high up yeah, as summoning I, I noticed that in in terms of kind of driving the melodic passages mm. i think it kind of it sounds a bit like and this this is ludicrous but i unfortunately do an awful lot of history <laughs> so it it kind of sounds a bit like the period of time between when you are waiting for the crops to grow and you don't know if they're going to be okay, <laughs> right? Because it's <laughs> because it's kind of don't laugh at me wrong. Sorry, no, that's, that's a great I, analogy. I, I actually like that, but <laughs> because essentially, because it's quite suspenseful, but mm. not in a suspenseful way like a kind of horror movie is suspenseful. Like, oh, it might be around the corner mm. any second. Mm. It's kind of gently suspenseful in the sense of like we we don't know what will happen and we don't know if it is going to be okay and there's nothing to do but wait yeah and i mean it's not an album yeah, about yeah. that i don't think i think it's about 
it's about is it about early man I don't know what it's about. something like I that but I couldn't really it's... work it out but it has that kind of like waiting and slightly suspenseful yeah yeah at the same time as having sort of like a local history and a sort of spirituality vibe to it um, but having that sort of like esoteric atmosphere if you mm. don't know what's going to happen and you don't know how that's going to turn out mm. yeah and there's something else to mention is much like uh, what you do before this is an album where you really need to see the album cover because mm. I don't know what it is about that image I can't even really describe what it is, but it's a seriously haunting image, and I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Creepiest balls. Yeah, it's yeah, <laughs> really, I, really creepy. I, I really like this cover. Um, and, and actually, another thing I want to mention is the vocals are quite interesting on this. Like, it's not entirely screams, and and the screams are kind of a more low pitch, almost like death metal approach. Then mixed with very clean singing, um, and it's all all sung in. I mm. assume. But none of it's in English as well, and there's something about that where I don't know whether the guy has a weird voice or I'm just not used to hearing that language sung yeah, at all. But yeah. the clean vocals have a very unique element to them. Yeah, and that sort of like mixes with the use of um, sort of the authentic folk instruments and stuff mm -hmm. like that to give it this really grounded feeling. It really feels like it came from a specific time and place, and it doesn't sound like anything else because of all these elements that have been added in, as well as the you know slightly weird and different songwriting. Yeah, yeah. Plus also, I thought he was doing something really interesting with his breathing, like quite several different sections in the album you can hear the vocalist breathing, which is clearly meant to be there, and it's kind of clearly, it's sort of like adding into that sort of feeling of like everything being slightly unsettled, mm -hmm. because that's a very kind of primal thing. If you can hear somebody else kind of slightly freaking out, it kind of, you're like, oh no, something's going on, I don't like it, and I'm starting to freak out as well. And that's kind of really interesting, because it's, it's a, I actually think it's a very important aspect of the album. But it's not really something you would describe as like a vocal technique or a vocal style. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah. like the first the first vocals you hear on the album are more of a sort of like shrieking noise of somebody suddenly drawing their breath in and kind of going, "Oh my god, what's happening?" And that's kind of really really cool. And I can't think of another black metal album that uses the voice in that very interesting way. Mm. No, no, I, I think you're right. That's a completely unique thing. Like actually, this is quite an interesting album of having an intro track that felt really part of it and really mm. I, I, I wouldn't have cut out whereas you know most bands do a two minute intro it's annoying <laughs> like this like it's just atmospheric keyboard noise with the vocalist who starts off like um, like really mellow kind of almost talking and it builds up and up and like mm -hmm. becomes like until basically it's the point where he's doing his full kind of black metal vocals and then the first track comes in with all the first proper track with all, all the drums and guitars and it's it's, so good. Yeah. It's very, very well. As, as well as sort of weird vocals, there's like weird guitar sort of techniques and effects on display here. And I was reading some interviews with Negru and like some of the like guitar noises and stuff in here, or like some of the sort of ambient noise is stuff played on guitar through techniques they've just sort of put together. Yeah, and it's yeah. Like, you know, things that to our knowledge or to their knowledge, like no one else is doing. They've just worked out this way to make this weird like high pitched noise or something like that with a guitar, and they just put it on here. And it's just really innovative in the way they use their instruments as well as their voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know it's not strictly relevant to the album, but I'd like to sort of mention a bit of the history of the band, or like actually sort of history post this. So this album came out in 2006. There's one follow-up to this with the full lineup of the original three guys. At that point, they all had a falling out and kind of killed the project. Uh, and then apparently uh, Naguru kind of to the annoyance of the other two, resurrected it as a more folk-influenced project. So post that, there's three albums. Well, I've got all three of them, really enjoyed them. One of them narrowly missed out on our end-of-the-year mm -hmm. list, mm -hmm. uh, which are all kind of 
better produced than this, like kind of a bit more cleanly, where the girls rearrange the band to be more, have more traditional folk instruments in there, to be more atmospheric and maybe less heavy. And I, I'd say that all of that stuff's highly worth checking out. Although, very sadly, talking of how unique this project is, unfortunately, this is all we're going to hear from it, it looks like. Mm -hmm. Very sadly, about two months ago, uh, Naguru passed away at a heart attack mid-tour, and that just seems like Naguru Bunjit's just done, completely completely out of the blue. Really, really kind of tragic. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a hell of a legacy to leave behind as well, like with this and the other albums as well that I've listened to during the preparation. Like, as, as, I mean, we've said this a lot, but no one sounds like this, and this really unique blend of different elements. It's, yeah... Like, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they would have gone on to produce a huge amount of other stuff that was just as good and just as great. But hell, they've already done an incredible impact on the metal scene. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Like the last two albums were part of a trilogy that we're never going to see the finish mm -hmm. point of. Like, it's, yeah, it's just very frustrating. And and actually, if you go forward and listen to a lot of the later albums, you can see Naguru's brought a lot of those cool influences with them. Like a lot of the kind of very strange sounds and ideas here are explored further on later mm -hmm. albums. So if there's any weird bit that grabs you, it's always worth going and finding something else they've done because they, they take these strange influences and explore them to great length all over the place. And as well, sort of as a companion, well, not really a companion, but something else that Negri was doing, he had um, the Nagura magazine, which did stuff like interviews with Emperor and other sort of legendary mm. metal bands, as well as doing stuff like articles about history and spirituality and comparative religion sort of around um, Europe where Romania is. And like it had this whole, because um, Nagura Bunja are related to a lot of local history and spirituality in Romania, and it had this whole other companion piece. Like it was almost more than just a band there was almost like a mo whole movement just with like this one guy and the music that he did and the other stuff that he did so you know like hopefully this sort of stuff continues because reading interviews with them it seems that there aren't a lot of metal bands in Romania and like there's all this sort of material all this history and stuff but not many people are coming out and talking about it and writing music about it so hopefully we'll get to see more of this stuff and more of this sort of ideology and history and spirituality all put into music mm-hmm so the track we're going to play from this, I mean, again, we could have chosen many from this album, but I'm um, going to go for track four, Kuno uh, Atestera Taktua. That's probably not right, but anyway, this, <laughs> this is a pretty good representative track from this album. Yeah, the translated title is Silent Knowledge. That's, that's not too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Which does bring us to say that Nigurubanja also translates to a dark, foggy forest. <laughs> <laughs> Again, kind of accurate, but yeah, it doesn't survive translation. <laughs>
that brings us to the final album coming today, and this is Caitlin's third choice and yet another band I was completely unaware of. I'm going to pass to her to introduce them because I can't read any of it. <laughs> okay, so this is the most recent full album by uh, Alster Theodlifsens, who are an Icelandic band who've been running since 2008. Um, and this album is entitled um, Alfredur och Munkadrottin, I think, because my Icelandic pronunciation is not very good, which translates as Odin and the God of the Monks. And they're a sort of, um, very much in the vein of what we've been talking about, they're an atmospheric black metal band, uh, and they sort of tag themselves as mythological metal because they don't want to be associated with the kind of, like, Viking metal of, of people mm. like Turisass, which is not at all what they sound like. Sorry. But they're actually really, really specifically about the history of Iceland. So this album, uh, Odin and the God of the Monks, is about... Um, is about the conversion of Iceland uh, Iceland to Christianity, which happened in the fantastic AD 1000. So, uh, you know, it's kind of really good and memorable. Yeah, yeah. So um, they've got this kind of really wide range of stuff that they've packed in there. So there's a lot of different vocal techniques. We've got this kind of clean baritone. We've got some kind of psalm-like chanting. We've got a lot of black metal screaming. Um, the, I don't, I, I'm going to leave it to you guys to talk about the rest of the instruments because I'm fundamentally <laughs> a singer and I don't really understand about how you know guitars and basses and other stuff works. Um, but they've also got a lot of kind of ambient noise. There's a lot of kind of like crackling of fires and kind of howling wind and kind of crashing sea. And the thing that for me is so great about this, and this is pretty much my favourite black metal album in the world, is that it's just it's brought together so well and it's every single thing that I wanted from an atmospheric black metal album perfectly put into one package and like there are some problems it's a bit long there are like mm. places where it could have been cut but it's just it's so good it's my absolute favorite mm. so very excited to hear what you guys thought so i think one of the things particularly talk after talking about nagura bunja which really sells me on this is yeah like nagura bunja it has that feel of a particular time and a place and the themes which you're talking about like you can feel the sort of emotion of that through the music particularly with things like singing in native language, which is something like, I just wish more metal bands would do. It's, it's yeah. actually sort of an old Icelandic. Oh, not even oh modern wow. Icelandic. They've, they've, <laughs> they've, I think when I was reading about their first album, they've, um, they're, they're sung exclusively in old Icelandic and when there aren't the words for old Icelandic, because, because Stefan, the, the um, kind of main... The, I think he's the main guy. I, I don't really mm. know. He's um, certainly got a master's degree in old Icelandic. He's probably got oh, okay. a PhD yeah, right now. Yeah. That was like at least 10 years ago. And... Um, He's essentially taken the words that he wants to use and sort of historicized them, yeah, but yeah. in a way that comes with a lot of knowledge of the language, as opposed to just like, you know, English is not just like putting on the end of things. Mm. But, you know, like having no understanding of Icelandic, let alone old Icelandic, it gives this sort of authentic, genuine feel to the whole thing. And, um, you know, it doesn't, again, just like the old bands are talking about, just doesn't sound like any of the others because it has this tight theme which all the music sort of revolves around and gets this sort of, like, melancholy and yet epic feel to mm. most of it, which I really, really like. So I'd definitely put this in the category of, like, very progressive black metal. It's, it's got the atmosphere mm. there as well, but th these guys throw a lot of ideas together. Songs move through completely different styles. I mean, it almost has that kind of opeth thing of being able to move from extremely heavy black metal to slowly just mellow out and come down all the way to really good acoustic guitar passages. There's great sounding acoustic guitar for this, as well as great sounding, like, kind of drums and guitar like uh, lead black metal. Um, it's got a lot of similar elements to Nagura Bunja, and they're quite good comparisons to each other with mm. a lot of um, stuff layered up on top of the music. There's uh, viola, cello, um, 
lots of um, choral vocals, mm-hmm. some clean singing. I mean, very, very different clean singing to Nagura Bunjit, but... Yeah. yeah, and quite a lot of spoken word, mm. actually, which is, yeah. which is um, I think it's done in the style of um, traditional Icelandic skaldic poetry, which is where the poet essentially learns to speak in the meter and then extemporizes, but it all has to be in this very specific meter that mm. only really mm. works for Icelandic. And you yeah, can kind of really tell that it's poetry, even though you're like, that's a language I don't understand and it's in the middle of this black, al- black metal album. But it works really, really well because it has got the meter and because they've mm, got all mm. this other stuff that really fits with it. And the, the Skaldic theme is um, kind of carried through the whole album. So uh, calling it uh, the God of the Monks is uh, like, that's the earliest Skaldic reference to the Christian God, kind of Yahweh or whatever, being in Iceland. That's the earliest mm. Icelandic reference to Judeo-Christian God. Is they're like, oh, he's the god of the monks, whereas mm, Alfredur, mm. as far as I can tell, is, is all father, which is obviously Odin. So, yeah, yeah. With these sort of like spoken word arrangements as well, you'll have this sort of not only with the black metal parts, but over these sort of much quieter, more mellow string arrangements as well, which works really, really nicely. It gives this real sort of like sense of epicness without sort of bringing you full into the black metal. And even when you have these sort of black metal parts, there's like bits of it where I'm almost reminded of bands like Rotting Christ. Where you yeah. have this sort of like yep. weird, slightly progressive take on black metal, which has this really sort of epic, almost mythological theme to it. Also, like the like another really impressive thing of this is like it's quite progressive music. It's technical, it's complex to play, mm. but kept very atmospheric. And it's done by three people. One, uh, Stefan, who I would guess is going to be the main composer, is guitar, bass, and backing vocals. Yeah, he's the um, founder. Anyway, um, so yeah. <laughs> on the uh, the more recent EP, he's. Uh, you keep talking. I'll find. Oh, uh, that's cool. Yeah. So Arnie, the drummer, is also plays viola, cello, and backing mm. vocals, and then. Uh, Marcel, who Bruce mentioned, is vocalist slash narrator, mm. and I assume main lyricist, mm. but possibly not. Yeah, um, Stefan on the most recent album is, is credited with guitars, bass, vocals, and choirs. Uh, and he's done, he's credited with the original text except where stated, because their liner notes is the text in Old Icelandic, <laughs> and then the text translated into English. And it's appropriately Harvard reference to which bits have been taken from which sagas and where they are in the saga. I, this is so... Basically, I've never been in love with an album more than this. Yeah, this is well and truly one of those albums where if this is your thing, if this is your area of interest, you can totally geek out with them. Mm. And they've really, they've really done their research. And it's always fantastic to see that, that kind of passion thrown into something on top of absolutely excellently written progressive music like you can completely ignore the Icelandic kind of mythology and history stuff and this is still an amazing yeah you still love it there's so many supremely catchy riffs so many really well executed changes in pace which are a very hard thing to do mm. like sort of in comparison to say something like something we covered earlier on they can do it just that bit more smoothly because yeah, yeah. just the the project sounds so much more like a real band as well rather than a studio project yeah, I mean, they've, they've never actually played live because all three of them live in three different countries. And uh, <laughs> they, um, they come together every... They come do like an intense two or three weeks where they compose the kind of the lyrics, the musical backbone and the kind of initial guitar riffs. And then everyone just like goes home and works on that. And then about 15 months later, yeah. they get back together and they put it all together and then they record it. Uh, so the uh, so I, I don't actually own the physical album for this one, but again, yeah. for the kind of most recent... Uh, EP, which is called uh, 
Hecla Zvitha, which I would also recommend, which is basically mm. perfect, but Phil wouldn't let me choose it because both tracks are like 25 minutes long. Um, <laughs> I couldn't really play them. <laughs> yeah. So this says that it was recorded in July 2014 and then in November 2015, and then it was mixed in 2015, and we didn't even get it until uh, it went up on the Bandcamp January this year, and I think I was able to pre-order it in mm. December. Yeah, yeah. That, that's a really long time for the gestation of what is an EP. Yeah, and it's only about forty minutes long. So, although saying that, like the the ways you do an album again, there's forty minutes, and I'd, I'd actually stress if you were going to go get into this band, we can't really play anything from it. But the EP is really where to start. Like it is two near perfect songs, which are these great twenty minute progressive mm. epics with next to no fat on them. Like the only criticism I have of the EP, and it's a similar one to have of this, is they slightly overdo the cello parts. Like, on the EP, it has, like, a five-minute outro with either cello or violin, yeah. something yeah. like that. And it was just a slightly disappointing end way to end such an epic song. Like, a little bit of it to fade out would have been great, but... Mm. Yeah, it, you were at five minutes is, is a bit much. And then mm. this, this album has a little bit of that throughout, where they're very good at writing these kind of atmospheric, melodic passages, but just slightly stray into making them a bit too long. They, like, yeah. they get a nice yeah. sound... And they get a bit too comfortable with it. Yeah, like something that we said about Widget did was that they know exactly when to stop doing what they're doing yeah, and change yeah, it up. And, and I think after Theory Lifters haven't quite got that in the same way. It doesn't feel as tight as the Widget Dude album feels. It's, it's a yeah. sense of pacing that particularly yeah. in things like atmospheric black metal and things like doom metal need to be done really, really well. And the bands that do them exceptionally well stand out. But like that's a really hard thing to do. And I think, you know, like a lot of bands, it takes quite a few albums to really get that level of pacing. And how long do you have certain things for? When do you change it up? And when do you add new melodies and things like that? Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the third album that we've been talking about. And they've done several kind of bits and pieces of um, other stuff. So the um, all of the members are in other bands. So Stefan is in a band called Kerbanok, who I have not listened to. Uh, and Marcel is in Helgrenar and has a side project, which is a kind of folk project called um, Wolljäger. Which is actually quite interesting, but it is purely folk. It's not. It's not mm. really metal. And the the um, Arnie who does a lot of the, kind of the drumming and the vocals and the strings. He's also in in Wolga. and it's kind of where was I going with this? I completely forgot where I was going. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> okay. Um. Yeah. So this is the like third full length album in seven years, but they have done quite a lot of other bits and pieces. But even the kind of jump from the most recent album, which is um, kind of twenty fourteen, I think. And uh, 2015, sorry. And this this EP, which we've also been talking about, um, Heklas Vieser. It's a, it's quite a big jump. Like they mm-hmm. they've cut a lot of the a lot of the fat. Like it's <coughs> it's really good. I'm very excited for what they're going to do next, which yeah. I guess we'll get in three years. Yeah, the, the EP was truly spectacular. It really was. Like again, it, it feels like something very new, very unique. It has a Nagorovanjic thing of there's just enough influences I'm not used to that it sounds like a completely new take mm-hmm. on things. Now, I, maybe not so much to Caitlin, because I think you listen to a lot of music that sounds like this. I mean, ish. As I was saying in my introduction, this was basically... I found this completely by chance. There's um, a different Icelandic band who are just called Abstathur, who are in, just not metal. And I was kind of looking them up on Bandcamp, and Bandcamp was like, oh, here's this other band with Abstathur in the title, and it was kind of <laughs> atmospheric black metal, and it had this cool-looking album cover, and I was like, oh, I'll just click on that. I wonder what that is. Um, and the first time I listened to this, which was the most recent thing they had on their Bandcamp, I was like, this is 
everything I've ever wanted from black metal, <laughs> like beautifully put together. And all of the kind of like the harsh stuff and the clean stuff and the kind of the ambient noise of having the fire and having the sea mm, and having the wind mm. and then having some strings. And it just sounds like it shouldn't come together. It sounds like it should be really cheesy and yeah. it just sound a bit like mm. Moon Sorrow, who I do like, but who I do think are very cheesy. Yeah, yeah. And it just was none of those things. And I think the first time I listened to it, it was like a transcendental experience. It was, mm. it was so perfect. So basically, I'm really hoping that one day they will go on tour and I would probably like weirdly follow them across <laughs> Europe and it'd be really weird. But I just, they're so good. Yeah. So, so, so good. Bring, bring up one flaw on their um, Bandcamp page is that all the text is in a very dark red which is, <laughs> yes. is, is just impossible to read unless you highlight it. So it, They have gone for the conspiracy theory website <laughs> colour scheme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, that that's pretty yeah. much the biggest flaw I can find. Yeah, yeah like, sort of uh, some vaguely interesting facts about this. This album was mixed by uh, Marcus Stock of The Vision Bleak, who I didn't know is a multi-instrumentalist super producer. Mm. I just thought he was quite a good musician. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty Quite cool. like The Vision Bleak. Like, that guy's done loads, and this has a lovely mix to it. Like, yeah, yeah. he's done a really good job here. Yeah, the production's kind of interesting on this, particularly as, like, a comparison to Nagura Bunja. It's, like, it's a little bit more muted and slightly less clean than theirs is. But mm. I think that works, like, particularly listening to the drums. It's it's a little less clear and a little bit more muted, but that really fits their more melancholy theme that they're going for, whereas Nagura Bunja, like, vary it up a bit more yeah. and change the sort of mood. And I think, again, like... As a lot of these bands, it's an example of making the production work for your sound. You know, it's not about there's one type of black metal production. It's what sort of thing would fit the sound that you're going for. This is another example of doing that well. Yeah, well and truly. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. Like, as I say, I highly recommend you go check out the EP. We can't play all of that. Um, Although we have decided to play a 10 minute long song (laughs) off of this. So we've got like halfway through there. I will attempt to introduce this. This is the final track from the album. Uh, Sem Lengst Vanna Lots. I, that's too many consonants in a row. <laughs> um, do you want me to have a go? Yeah, do you want to have a go at this cool. one? Well, I look at it. Just, do you want um, to j- do j- your just before, should we plug things? Yeah. Yes, we can begin to do this. So, yes, um, we're on iTunes. We would love like to get some reviews on there. We haven't got any so far. We haven't got enough for a star rating. It would be nice if, yeah. If you enjoy this, please recommend it to friends. Sign up to the Facebook page or the Twitter account. Me and Rob are both pretty active on there. If you've got stuff you want us to cover, send us an email. Like, happily yeah. check our new albums. Like, And what is our email address? Uh, philsbreakfastmetal at gmail.com. Philsbreakfastmetal, all one word without an apostrophe in it. <laughs> and where do I find you on Twitter? Uh, at philsbreakfastmetal without an apostrophe as well. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so the track we're going to play is the final track of the album, which is entitled... Sem lengst vano lopst lioxmur, I think, hafs dregeneri. And I've no idea what that means, but it's really, really fucking cool. It's a very good song. <laughs>
Das Ströd kriegt, der da baut, stört nicht kriegt. 